You're listening to Cancer Covered. I think it's a perfect illustration of how important it is to do these things before it's obvious that we need them. Like a lot of advanced planning or saving for retirement or buying insurance. This is one of those things that if you wait until you realize you need it to start making the preparations or taking care of it, you've waited too long. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. And I'm Kyla King. And we're your hosts. It wasn't all that long ago when all end-of-life decisions used to be made by doctors without input from patients. And futile, painful treatments often continued even if patients didn't want them. But in 1969, a human rights lawyer named Lewis Kuttner argued that patients had the right to clearly state their preferences about end-of-life care and to demand physicians follow them. This right was recognized by the courts in 1975 after the parents of Karen Ann Quinlan sued on behalf of their daughter, who'd suffered brain death, to have her ventilator discontinued. Today, our right to choose our own treatment at the end of life is clearly established. But it only happens if we define our wishes with advanced directives. In this episode, we explain what advanced directives are, what can happen if you don't have one, and how to go about getting yours. You'll be glad to know it's a lot easier than you think. Mitch, many people may not be aware that you're also board certified in hospice and palliative medicine. Probably not. What exactly is an advanced directive? An advanced directive is nothing more or less than a set of instructions about how a person wants to be cared for at the end of life. It's intended to represent you and your wishes in the event you become too ill to speak for yourself. It usually consists of three components. First, what's called a healthcare power of attorney, and that designates a person that will do the speaking on your behalf, usually a loved one or a close relation or friend. The second component is what kind of care you do and don't want, what sorts of things you're willing to have done for some people being on a ventilator, something they want for some people it isn't. Dialysis can include anything, or it can say do everything. Uh, The third component is the set of circumstances in which you would not want your life prolonged or any further efforts to be made. And for some people, it is do everything at all times. And for others, it's if I get a certain type of illness or if I get extremely ill from, say, I don't know, kidney disease or cancer past a certain point where I I can't get out of bed, then, then I don't want anything further done. Is it a big deal if people don't have them and then they get seriously ill? Yeah, it really is. It, first of all, puts the healthcare team in the position of having to guess what a person may or may not want, how they may or may not want to be cared for, and what is on the table and what's a bridge too far. It creates significant confusion for families and a lot of emotional discord who are put in the same position and have an even bigger emotional stake in 
those kinds of decisions than the healthcare team at a time when they're least able to think clearly. And it can create a lot of division. It can keep people uh, from getting the care that they would want. And depending on the specific laws of the state you live in, because how these decisions get made vary state by state in the United States anyway, it might mean that you and your family have to go through a lengthy and often expensive guardianship process in the middle of a healthcare crisis. And that can cost anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000 and is not fast. Do I need an advanced directive even if I'm not ill or don't have a chronic illness? If you are over the age of 18 in the United States, you need an advanced directive because that is the age at which you become responsible for your own health care decisions. Your parents can't make those decisions for you in the absence of a clearly designated agent and some idea about what kinds of treatments you want, people and their families and the healthcare teams get put in those awful spots that we talked about a moment ago with uh, no warning. Are there different types of advanced directives? I'd say that there's different instruments and they can be assembled in different ways. The absolute most basic advanced directive is designating a healthcare power of attorney, which, by the way, does not require an attorney to do. But this, again, says this is the person that knows me best. This is the person that will speak on my behalf. And the idea is that that person is informed of your wishes ahead of time so that they can speak for you. Otherwise, they're in the position of using what's called substituted judgment, having to make the decision on your behalf as a best guess. And that is not how it's intended. Designating a healthcare power of attorney and then having a discussion with that person or persons and telling them what your wishes are. That's, that's the most basic level. The second is a more comprehensive healthcare. I'd say the second way to assemble one is a little bit more comprehensive. It usually does include designating a healthcare power of attorney. They also ask some general questions about things like nutrition, things like artificial respiration, things like CPR, whether you would want those things, what are the kind of circumstances where you would or wouldn't want them. And most of them are fairly boilerplate. Almost all hospitals have these more or less ready to go. They're pretty simple to fill out and allow you to select different options. There are options such as the Five Wishes document, which is created and distributed by Aging with Dignity. It's available online. You can fill that out. It allows for a little bit more customization options. It's, in fact, the advanced directive that I myself have, and I found it easy to use. The most comprehensive type of advanced directive is something called a POLST. That's P-O-L-S-T, Physician Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. This gets down into the real nitty-gritty of the granular medical orders that you and your physician work out ahead of time, defining the circumstances in which those orders or sets of orders or different sets of orders would go into effect. You and the physician sign them ahead of time and those immediately go into effect when the circumstances kick in. All of that sounded very clinical and honestly, pretty intimidating. 
Yeah, and I think that is what keeps most people from wanting to fill them out and why I think some of the forms out there with exclusion of the five wishes document can seem almost impossible because I don't think the average person has a good enough sense about things like dialysis or ventilators to have any clue uh, about uh, when they would or wouldn't want those or when or those things would or wouldn't make sense. So what I advise people to do and the way my own advanced directive is written is it begins with what kind of life would I find unendurable? For instance, there are some people who say, you know, if I lose the ability to live independently, I don't want my life prolonged. Or if I lost the ability to walk, I wouldn't want my life prolonged. Or if I had mostly physical function normal, but I was unclear in my mind or had advanced dementia, I, I wouldn't want to live under those circumstances. I think defining the kind of illness that you really wouldn't want to live a long time with or the set of circumstances where that would be unacceptable to you is the most useful place to start. And I think it actually can make most decisions a lot clearer for not just your family, but your healthcare team as well. Because sometimes healthcare teams disagree about the absolute benefit of all of those heavy duty clinical things that we're talking about. What's what's the percentage benefit of dialysis in this circumstance or antibiotics in this circumstance? So getting down into the weeds about specific interventions is, in my opinion, exactly the wrong way to go. Focus on the higher level things. What parts of life do I value most and which ones would I not want to survive losing? And I think you've gone a long way to making a very useful advanced directive for yourself and your family. Does it help if you have that conversation with your loved ones to kind of figure and sort those things out? I think that is the first step to writing and putting together a good advanced directive because as is so often the case, it's in talking about these ideas and being questioned by people who love us, who would be ultimately responsible for carrying out your wishes, that we can make ourselves more clearly understood, that we can see where there may be some gaps that we didn't realize were in there, and it pre-informs them so that they're not just looking at the written page, whatever few sentences you've written down. They understand the meaning behind it. What if my priorities change after I've created my advanced directive? Maybe for myself now, I may want something, but if that changes over time, am I locked in and do I have to still have what is spelled out in my advanced directive? No, advanced directives can be updated and regularly are. How often should people update their advanced directive? An advanced directive is something that you should probably glance at at least once a year. If you're the kind of person who, you know, looks over their taxes every year, I think that's a great time to do it. So how can I get an advanced directive? It's a lot easier than you think. We did talk about some of the tools that are available through your hospital. In fact, I think most primary care clinics and adult care clinics have access to some forms. The quality varies a lot, but 
they certainly have the basics in there, but if you want one that is easily accessible, easily portable, and really covers all the bases, it's hard to go wrong with the Five Wishes document, which you can find online, is easy to access, is I think just cost pennies, and is created in such a way that it can be validated by two witnesses without the involvement of an attorney at, at basically minimal expense and trouble. So I'm guessing the Five Wishes document actually has five wishes in it. What are they? That's the real genius of the document, in my opinion. Uh, it's written in everyday language and useful prompts that I think it really quickly get you to the heart of what's important. Avoids all of that heavy-duty medicalese and parsing between I do want this, I don't want that. The first wish is, who do I want to make decisions for me when I can't? Also known as healthcare power of attorney. What's the second one? The kind of medical treatment you do or don't want. The third is, how comfortable do I want to be? The fourth is, how do I want people to treat me? And the fifth is, what I want my loved ones to know. So there's even an element of legacy there. And you said you don't need an attorney or a lawyer to do this? You do not need an attorney or a lawyer to do this. Uh, You simply need to fill it out, have it uh, signed by the people that are going to be your healthcare agents, your healthcare power attorneys, and then witnessed by two people who are not the agents, and you're done. So what percentage of people actually have an advanced directive? Depends on which study you look at. In there's a study from the University of Michigan and a study from the University of Pennsylvania. The best estimates that we have are that adults in the United States have an advanced directive completion rate of around 35 to maybe as high as 43%. And it doesn't seem to v- depend much or be statistically significant uh, different difference whether you have a chronic illness or whether you don't. With something this guaranteed, we know at some point we're all going to die. Why don't people do these? I think the first one you pointed out very well earlier, it seems intimidating because they, I think people expect that it's going to feel like ordering from a French menu that's not translated. How am I possibly going to choose between all these different medical interventions, which what I want, what I don't want, and the circumstances because it's, it can seem too technical and they just feel defeated before they even start. Second, it is uncomfortable for many of us to think about things like our mortality, inevitable debility, inevitable death. And it brings up a lot of strong emotions and sometimes regret, sometimes spiritual turmoil, and it's something a lot of people don't want to do, much to our detriment, in my opinion. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. 
As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you, wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. What do you think is the downside of not having one? There's clearly, clearly compromised care uh, at, at the end of life, at, at first and foremost. Second is worsened trauma and more complicated grief for the people who survive us and have to sort through this with no guidance and possibly magnified conflict with, with their family members when it isn't clear or when people disagree. Third, I forget which philosopher said the unexamined life is not worth living, but, but I've always agreed with that sentiment. And I think there's something therapeutic and life-affirming about staring down our own mortality very clearly. It, it has a way of reminding us to focus on the important things and make sure that we're living the life that really matters to us because none of us are going to be here forever. What can parents or caregivers do to encourage young adults to create an advanced directive or vice versa? I, I think the best way to encourage someone that you love that needs to do an advanced directive that doesn't have one, whether that's your 18-year-old, soon-to-be high school graduate, or whether that's your 81-year-old, soon-to-be debilitated parent, is to lead them into it by example and ask if they'll be your buddy. Say, hey, you know what? I've got to do my own document. Would you be willing to do this with me because I'm just not sure how to go about it? I've got some trepidation about it. Would you help talk me through this? And that becomes, then it becomes more of a collaborative thing and a, a loving act and, a, and actually a very intimate act between two people who care about each other than one person just nagging another. When is the best time to do this? The moment you turn 18. 18 years old, really? That's pretty young. Yeah, and I think it's a perfect illustration of how important it is to do these things before it's obvious that we need them. Like a lot of advanced planning or saving for retirement or buying insurance. This is one of those things that if you wait until you realize you need it to start making the preparations or taking care of it, you've waited too long. You cannot buy auto insurance after the accident has already happened. Great point. Glad we talked about this. I'm glad we talked about it too. And before we go, I I want to give a shout out to the community of La Crosse, Wisconsin, and also uh, Gunderson Lutheran Health System in Wisconsin, elements of uh, EMS and the municipality. La Crosse, Wisconsin leads 
the country in the advanced directive completion rate of its citizens. And this is the result of people in healthcare and in EMS seeing tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, standing up and saying enough, making it initiative and putting in the effort. I would recommend you check out their book, Having Your Own Say, written by Bernard Hams and the Gunderson Health System. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com.